when you have a project around the house, inside or out, the team that has the great products that will help you, as they've helped me on so many occasions, is Steel. S-T-I-H-L, steeldealers.com. They have over 9,000 dealers around the country. And if it's chainsaws, if it's blowers, if it's helping out in the backyard and you need some things trimmed up, that is the place to go with steel. They're terrific. They have wonderful products, and I'm a big, big fan. Steeldealers.com, S-T-I-H-L. So I've been telling you, I start my day with Boyer's Coffee, and I finish my day with Boyer's Coffee. And uh, yeah, I drink decaf later in the day, but I love the different flavors. I've become a pretty big hazelnut fan, truth be told. And you can find your favorite coffee online at boyerscoffee.com have it delivered right to the house that's the simplest way of doing it where you can go to your local grocery store and find boyer's coffee as well Uh, great product and they make great gifts this holiday season or maybe you can surprise somebody after the first of the year with a gift from boyer's coffee boyerscoffee.com This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, part two of Drew's conversation with Jim Gray on his new book, Talking to Goats, and some more legendary stories. And he said, President Nixon wants to talk to you. And he rolled down the back window and there was Richard Nixon. That's incredible. Here's the guy who destroyed, you know, our entire belief in government. He's sitting in the car right here and wants to talk to me. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast at iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And leave a comment. It helps other people find the show. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Drew Goodman Podcast. It is show number 76. And yeah, we'll have more with Jim Gray, part two of our conversation with the terrific longtime sportscaster interviewer. And uh, he touches on some fascinating uh, subjects this week as well. Merry Christmas to everybody. Happy holidays. And I hope you're enjoying uh a fun time and, and get to spend time with loved ones. And I have a story a little bit later on in the show about one of my all-time uh, favorite Christmas Day travel stories in the business of sports broadcasting. We'll begin with baseball today. You know, the virtual winter meetings have been going on and all the managers around baseball have been interviewed extensively over the last week or so. Buddy Black was was interviewed by a number of people locally and uh, and nationally on the MLB network. And it's kind of interesting because all of these managers have handled questions about their thoughts on the rule changes that were implemented in the truncated 2020 season and what their thoughts are on it moving forward. And what was fascinating to me is I had conversations with Buddy and and some other managers kind of leading into the 2020 season. And there are some areas that you felt, especially in the National League, like the managers aren't going to like it. For instance, the DH, because National League managers love the strategy, particularly Buddy Black, of running a bullpen and running a bench. And and you hear that so frequently, and you've heard me uh, pontificate about it before, that I'm a, I grew up a National League guy. I enjoyed the strategy of the National League. I was a National League purist. I liked the fact that there were differences between the American League and the National League. And you go to American League ballpark, and, and you played with the DH, and who the Rockies would use as the DH that day, and vice versa when you had you know a team coming in 
in. And if you had that rare situation where you had a starting pitcher who could really handle the bat, like Herman Marcus or, you know, watching Madison Bumgarner take big hacks, that sort of thing. What the other rule was that it seemed like the managers were going to despise um, or just put up with, if you will, for the one year was the runner on second in extra innings. The California tiebreaker rule for those that have watched amateur baseball, especially at the younger levels. Well, what was curious to me is it seemed that there was great consensus that all the National League managers said, you know what, I'm good with the DH. And I fell in line with that probably, you know, a few weeks into the season. It's like, you know what, I'm, I'm done with, with pitchers hitting. I'll give you an analogy in a moment uh, that you may like about, about the DH. Um, but the other one was, and this one maybe surprised me far more than the DH acceptance. And that is, it seemed like most managers were good with the California tiebreaker. And not playing 15, 16, 17 inning games, which can be intriguing, even though they can be long when you're watching them. And all of a sudden you're down to one guy in the bullpen and, you know, a relief pitcher's hitting or, you know, when it gets really long, all of a sudden, you, you know, your utility middle infielders on the mound throwing. Uh, it, it always makes for intriguing content for a broadcaster or uh, an interesting watch if you are at home or if you hang in there in the stands. But it seemed like almost all the managers were like, we're good with this. Uh, some suggested, I think Buddy was one of them, that, okay, maybe the first couple of extra innings, you play it conventionally, and then when you get to the 11th or 12th inning, you put the runner at second base. And for those that embraced the strategy late in games of how to use a bullpen in the National League and how to use a bench because the pitcher, starting pitcher was coming up, there is great strategy with, you know, how you use the bench and how you attack, whether you're on the road or at home, the extra innings if there is a, a player starting out at second base. So it'll be, again, interesting to see if those two rules in particular are adopted moving forward. I think it's a fate to complete with the DH and, and also with the extra inning rule. And I fall back on something I've said many times. You have to evolve. You can't get so conservative that you say, nope, this is how we've always done business. It's also like the postseason. I don't know if we'll expand as far as we did in 2020, but I'm okay with another team or two being involved in the postseason in each league. It keeps fans in cities interested because it allows for more teams to potentially be involved and not be eliminated on June 28th or, or July 5th, that sort of thing. So I'm all I'm all in on that. And maybe years ago I wouldn't have been. But guess what? Like Jeff Goldblum said in the Big Chill, I'm evolving. You have to evolve. Oh, so the uh, analogy um, that I wanted to give you on on the pitcher hitting and the whole DH thing, of which again I used to be a big fan of the National League rules, and I've kind of done a somewhat of a 180 on that you know what's it's akin to it'd be like if there was a rule in the nfl that no there's no kickers okay your left guard has to be your kicker so he has to kick and if you happen to have 
a left guard that's a pretty decent kicker. Maybe he had a, a soccer background when he was little, and you have the the better kicker uh, as a left guard. You had an advantage. I mean, it's the same thing with the starting pitchers hitting. They got no shot. They have no shot because most position players have little shot of hitting how good the pitching is in today's game. So that was my little uh, analogy, if you will. Moving on from baseball, I want to talk college football for for a moment. And we had Chad Brown on a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about same thing that we talked about with Joel Klatt earlier in this fall. That you at the start of every college football season, you know there's really only four, five, maybe, maybe six teams that truly could win a national championship. We know who those schools are: Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, uh, clearly. And everybody else is is just trying to maybe get to a New Year's Day bowl game if you have an extraordinary season, or some other you know bowl game in, in some remote city, and the kids get you know an extra couple of weeks of practice, and they get a lot of uh, nice swag, and we get to watch something between Christmas and New Year's. But it was all about the college football playoff. And this year, there's controversy. Ohio State only played six games. Should it have been Texas A&M or Notre Dame? Texas A&M had only one loss, a blowout loss by 28 to Alabama. Notre Dame had been clean. And then in round two against Clemson, they get blown out. Well, they had the slightly better resume because they had played better opponents than Texas A&M. So they got in. I was okay with that. But it just begs to expand this thing to at least eight teams. One one of the things that is of great intrigue with March Madness is you have the Cinderella team or the potential for a Cinderella team or the mid-major team that's really good. Heck, the number one team in the land right now is Gonzaga as we tape this uh, a couple of days before Christmas. And Gonzaga is a mid-major. They don't even play football in Spokane. But everybody knows about the Zags and Mark Few's team year in and year out. And I think that makes it interesting when there are more teams that you can get excited about or that have a legitimate chance to make a bit of a run in March Madness. I think it's the same thing in college football. Now, there are some on the other side will say, well, every, you know, when you only play a handful of games, every week is a playoff game. You can say that and say, yeah, if, if, if you're Ohio State and you want to get to the you know, the the final four, you can't get upset by Indiana or you can't lose to Penn State. Uh, I get all of that, but it is different when we're truly talking about everybody's looking in and it's a playoff format. I always think back to when Boise State, who's one of the kings of the the group of five programs in the country in that Fiesta Bowl, beat Oklahoma in a fabulously entertaining game. We all gravitate to that. And I still think that the best team will end up on top. But if you get a Cincinnati or a Coastal Carolina or a BYU one one year kind of infiltrating and giving the blue bloods of the sport all they want, I mean, that's great theater. And that's what sports should be, entertainment and great theater. So I would like to see this thing expanded from four to eight at the very least moving forward. And when you talk about competitiveness in the postseason, I was looking at the NFL with a couple of weeks to play, and in particular the AFC where the Broncos were side and they've 
become decidedly mediocre, but you can improve quickly and turn things around quickly. I know last week was kind of a dud. But you look around that AFC, and yeah, the top of the food chain is Kansas City. But it's not like those years where New England was beating everybody by two touchdowns every week. Kansas City's 13-1, and but they have played a number of close games. They're really entertaining. We know how great they are on offense with Mahomes and Kelsey and Hill. But they're beatable. And then you start looking around, and of course you saw Buffalo on display, and they have become an elite team. And I don't think you can sit here right now uh, on the eve of Christmas and say, yep, there's no question, Kansas City is going to be in the Super Bowl. Because Buffalo... With Allen, and that's you know a great story for people that followed his career at Wyoming, and I had the good fortune of doing uh, several of his games when he was a Cowboy. He's become you know an elite level quarterback and an accurate one. One of the great questions about him coming out: could he be accurate? Well, he's accurate, and he's you know a huge threat running the football. But Buffalo, they certainly could knock off Kansas City. I watched Cleveland play my uh, my New York Giants this week, and, and Cleveland is really good. And uh, their former Heisman Trophy winning quarterback is really good. You could see them winning. There, there's a host of teams, particularly in that AFC, Tennessee, that you know, if they if they play a complete football game, could emerge from the conference and end up in February in the Super Bowl. The NFC is not quite as deep. Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay, they've had an extraordinary year. Understand that. Uh, you know, Tampa is still curious. They've kind of been up and down, but they have Tom Brady. We know all the moves they made in the offseason. But I think it's going to be a fascinating postseason in the NFL, particularly on the AFC side. Oh, another note in the NFL. You know, every once in a while... It's probably not every once in a while. It's probably a daily occurrence. You get an, an alert or a breaking news story. And oftentimes, you like me, you roll your eyes and go, this isn't breaking news. This isn't news at all. And such a or such an alert came across my phone the other day from a, a guy who was a guest on the show uh, a couple of months ago who does an extraordinary job uh, in dispensing information in the NFL, there's nobody better than Adam Schefter. And whether it's a, a minor injury or a major story, Adam's going to be on it and he's going to put it out on social media. Uh, and then ultimately, you know, ESPN and, and you're going to get it. Well, this story came out from Adam and this has nothing to do with Adam. It has more to do with kind of the, the story of what it was. And that is that um, Carson Wentz, He's unhappy about not starting, and if his future is as the backup, then you know to to Jalen Hurts, then he is not interested in continuing on in Philadelphia. Is that any sort of news flash, really? I mean, a, a guy who's in his athletic prime, in his age prime, is unhappy about no longer starting. I mean, who who wouldn't be? I, you expect Carson Wentz to be doing, you know, jumping jacks and yelling hallelujah, I don't start anymore, I have to watch? Of course not. He's a competitor. He shouldn't be happy. 
And ultimately, if he wanted to keep his starting job, probably had to play better. But, I mean, it's not a newsflash that he's unhappy. I wouldn't expect him to be happy. And he's going to say the right things about his teammate and being a team guy. But, yeah, if his future is all of a sudden as a backup and he's whatever he is, 26, 27, 28 years of age, you would think that he would like a, a new team to go and compete for the starting job uh, with. So I, um, I just kind of looked at that one, and that one made me chuckle. Yep, Carson Wentz is unhappy that he's no longer starting. One of the best pieces of video I got to uh, look at last week, and I'm sure was the same for you, speaking of social media, because it was everywhere, and that was Tiger Woods playing with his son Charlie Woods in that father-son event that was ultimately won by Justin Thomas and his dad, who is a PGA professional teacher, uh, his dad Mike. And the Thomases are really close with the Woods. And and uh, Justin Thomas, who is exceptionally close evidently with Tiger, has become kind of a an older brother of sorts to Charlie, and they rib each other, etc. But watching Charlie swing the golf club, I mean – He's 11 years old, and that dude has one of the great swings for a kid I've ever seen. He has a great swing for anybody, and it looks identical to the old man. And those guys marching around the golf course, especially on Sunday with the black slacks and and the tiger red for Sunday, um, it was it, it was neat to watch, and it's really neat to see. You you know how big a fan I am of, of tigers. I think he's one of the you know, maybe the, the most impactful act, athlete of my lifetime. And, and that's saying something because we've seen Jordan and we've seen Ali. Uh, but, uh, you know, to see the metamorphosis really of, of Tiger Woods from this great but unapproachable athlete to we see a warm side and a, and, and, uh, a side that is relatable. And to see him, you know, with his kid, uh, just, you know, just really cool, really neat. And the kid's swing is ridiculous. So that was uh, that was neat stuff. Made my uh, made my weekend. All right, it's on to part two of my interview with Jim Gray. And just so you know, take you behind the curtain a little bit. When I sit down and, and do these interviews with um, with various subjects, it's not as if I say, okay, on occasion I'm going to try to get you know two parts out of this. It, it happens organically, and with you know, Jim Gray and myself, we ended up putting over an hour on tape and, you know, that, that would make for a really lengthy podcast. So I decided, yeah, let's do this in two parts. But there's so many great stories there in Jim's new uh, book, Talking to Goats. And last week you heard about him and his interaction with Pete Rose and that controversial and famous World Series interview he did with him on the field. And you heard several other stories. Well, this week... We do not limit uh, our conversation to sports figures, but how about a run-in with a former president? How about Nelson Mandela, Mikhail Gorbachev, and uh, one Yoko Ono? That and much, much more in part two of my conversation with Jim Gray, brought to you as always by Ideal Home Loans. There's so many stories in, in in the book, Jim, and I know we can't, you know, you, you have to go out and buy the book, and, and it's it's one of those things where you're going to whip through it. But I got, there's some ones that people wouldn't expect in there. I mean, they know if, if you followed you at all, you, you everybody knows about your close relationship with Tom Brady. 
Um, but tell us about one when you're living with Madden at the Dakota. And again, I'm a New Yorker, so I know that building well. And you're across from Central Park. It's one of the iconic buildings, uh, especially if you're from there. And of course, John Lennon was was shot outside there. And I didn't realize until I read it in your book that Yoko Ono, to this day, Jim, still still lives in the Dakota. I believe she does live in Dakota still. Yes, uh, I, Madden sold his apartment uh, several years ago, but when when I was there, uh, she was living across the way, and I believe to this day she still lives in the same apartment. Yes. So I, I want you to tell the story about. First about Yoko Ono, then I'm going to lead you to another one. So Yoko Ono's there, and you're you're a young guy, and I mean it's Yoko, it's Yoko Ono, and and you want to kind of naturally meet her at some point, and uh, and that finally did happen, didn't it? Yeah, well, you know, I'd get up in the mornings, and the way the building is set up, Madden and Yoko Ono had an apartment right across the courtyard from each other. So there's this fountain, and I don't know how far it is, maybe 15 yards, whatever. 20 yards, 60 feet, 90 feet, I'm not sure. Uh, and so when you go into the kitchen, you look across the way and you see into, you know, the Yoko Ono Lennon kitchen. So I would get orange juice in the morning and, you know, happen, I'd say, fairly often, you know, 20 times, 30 times, 40 times, a lot, you know, and I lived there for a number of years at, at Madden's place. And so I'd look across the way and there was Yoko and I'd wave. But she'd always wave back. You know, you couldn't help it. You'd see each other, and, you know, we'd right. wave. So we'd smile. So she probably thought I was one of Madden's kids because we had never met. Or maybe she didn't even know who lived there. I would assume she probably did, but maybe not. So anyway, I was walking back one day from NBC. I had taken a job and was coming back from 30 Rock, uh, walking through the park. And lo and behold, in Strawberry Fields, of all places, was Yoko Ono, uh, which is, you know, not too far away from the apartment uh, on 72nd and near Central Park West. Anyway, that portion of the park. So I walk in back and there was there she was. And so I walked over and I said to her, hi, I'm Jim Gray. I wave at you all the time from from Madden's apartment. Hey, how are you? And we, we chatted probably for two minutes, you know, very nice, you know, just chit chat, casual, superfluous, you know, on the surface stuff. And I could tell, you know, it was waning, as you know, when you're talking to a stranger and she's obviously very famous. And so, you know, didn't want to overstay my welcome and figured time was up. So I said, great to talk to you. Maybe we should have a cup of coffee or a Coke sometime. <laughs> and she said to me, I prefer to wave. <laughs> so she politely and nicely, you know, said, that's it. Blew me right. off in a nice way, not not mean. She was not rude. I mean, I don't want to create the wrong right. impression. She was. Right. She, she just said, "I prefer to wave," and so I thought, "Okay, all right." So anyway, I walked away, and it was, you know, I'm thinking, you know, that's kind of cool that she said that. That's kind of weird that she said that, but that's kind of like, you know, okay, I've had enough. So it was all good. Anyway, a week or two later, I'm standing in the window pouring my orange juice. And there's Yoko, and I'm thinking, oh, God, do I even wave now? You know, she blew me off. And so I kind of like sheepishly just kind of like waved and raised my arm, not not above my head. And she gave me this big, grand smile and wave and everything, and, and she was really nice. And, and you know, so she preferred to wave, so we did that several more times while I lived there. But <laughs> that was that was the story. I yeah. prefer to wave, Drew. Have preferred a wave. That that is hysterical. And, and real quick, because th- this next story 
um, had me laughing out loud, which you don't often do when you're when you're reading print. But it was also, you know, you're living with Madden, and I, you know, I've met Madden. I don't know Madden. Obviously, Madden is, you know, very dear to you, um, and, and that's something you explore. You know, you talk about in the book. But um, you're, you're living at the Dakota when you're in New York, and a car pulls up, a limo pulls up next to you. And not only what happened there, but the story you tell to Madden and then it, and then a year later, because I think everybody feels like they know Madden. And if you could tell that story, because I, I was laughing out loud uh, as, as you told that in, in the book. I thought it was hysterical. I was just walking down Central Park. I was, no, I was walking down 72nd Street uh, outside of the Dakota and I'm walking down the street and a black sedan pulled up and they had tinted windows. And this guy rolled it down the window in the front seat, and the driver screams out at me, and he was wearing sunglasses, and he had a hat and black tinted window. He said, you're Jim Gray. I said, hey, yes, hi, how are you? And I waved, and he said, uh, come on over here. And I said, ah, I've got to get going, and I just kept walking. You know, it just, it just, the car didn't look right. You know, sure. It just doesn't. Yeah. You know, it, who knows who's in there, so I didn't, didn't think anything of it. Well, it couldn't have been. A couple minutes later, the same car pulls up again. He said, hey, you're Jim Gray. And I said, yeah, we kind of established that. And I waved and I was smiling. Again, you don't know what's going on in New York. You know, since mm-hmm. 1980, whatever it was, 9, 88. And uh, uh, he said, come on over here. And I looked at him and I stopped. And, and he said, President Nixon wants to talk to you. And he rolled down the back window and there was Richard Nixon. I'm thinking, wow. <laughs> Richard Nixon, that's incredible. Here's the guy who destroyed, you know, our entire belief in government. He's sitting in the car right here and wants to talk to me. So anyway, I come over there, and President Nixon invited me into the car. So I talked to him for 45 minutes or so. He knew everything about sports. This guy was an encyclopedia, Drew. He was Siri before Siri. He was Google before Google. This guy was telling me about all-star games and Pee Wee Reese and his batting average and the New York football giants, and it was just astonishing. And by the way, I don't know this stuff, okay? I have no idea, but I'm cataloging it in my head because I want to look this up because nobody can know all this. Turns out it was all right. He had it all exactly right. But anyway, we're talking and finally, you know, get out of the car. He has to go or whatever. Uh, I walk back into the apartment and I say, Madden, you're not going to believe this. And he's sitting, he's sitting where we used to watch TV. And I said, you know, I'm walking down the street and Richard Nixon pulled up and I just talked to President Nixon for 45 minutes. And he looked at me and he said, how can we speak on this podcast? Uh, can I say it as, as he said it or should I clean it up? Hey, you know what? Yeah, I want you to speak authentically. I do. It's the beauty of podcasts, as you know. Again, I'm a native New Yorker. So uh, the, the first four words I learned, you can't say on TV, as George Carlin used to say. I'll clean it up a little bit. No, you don't have to clean it up at all. Go for it. So Madden Madden looks over and he says, don't ever BS Madden. You don't BS Madden. And he gets up and he walks out. And then he comes back in and he says, I had Sistrunk. I had Matusak. I've heard everybody's BS forever. Don't shit Madden. And he walked out. (laughs) And I'm thinking, wow, I wonder why he would have that reaction. Guess he, you know. Didn't believe it or whatever, you know. It wasn't an argument. It wasn't a fight. He just didn't want to hear it. And he told me, you know, thought it was a tall tale. That was it. So, yeah. about a year later, 
about a year later, I'm sitting in the den, and here comes Madden, comes walking in, and he sits down, and he's chewing on his cigar. He loved to chew. He never smoked a cigar, but he loved to chew them. And he says, I'm, I'm sorry I called you a shit. <laughs> and I didn't know what he was talking about, you know. It was a year ago. I said, what are you talking about? He said, I called you a shit a year ago. And I said, yeah, you did. And he said, <laughs> great. Uh, I just spent an hour talking to Richard Nixon in his car over here on 72nd Street. Do <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what, Jim, this is what's going to happen. Everybody who reads your book, they're going to flock to the, the corner of 72nd and, and Central Park West, assuming if they hang there long enough, a limo is going to go by and, and some ex-president's going to be in it, right? Well, you, hey, a lot of people do go by that building. It's astonishing. You know, obviously, it's a memorial to John Lennon because he was shot right there in the entrance. Mark David Chapman, was that his name? Uh, yeah, I believe that's right. Yep, I believe that's right. I remember I was in, I was in high school just north of there. And, and Howard Cosell came on television and told us during, uh, during the game. Yeah. A lot of people do come by there all the time because they want to pay honor and, and, and tribute to um, John Lennon. And so you, you would see all kinds of people uh, outside the building. There were a lot of not only celebrity sightings, but foreign dignitaries when they'd come in for the U.N. sessions and so forth would uh, uh, would come out and either lay down flowers in front of the building. And, and, and it, still, uh, it still becomes a shrine, uh, well, particularly on the date uh, uh, December 8th. Uh, is always a big day in front of the building as well. Just, uh, in 1980, when he was killed. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Hey, hey, Jim, you're still in in, in your your prime. When you look back, <laughs> who's been? Uh, no, I I believe that. You want to know why I believe that? Because I'm only a couple of years younger than you, so that's why I believe that. Okay, thank you. Yeah, that, that we're <laughs> we're gonna go with that. Um, mo- most in, you know of all these you know marvelous and, and world-renowned subjects, and again, beyond sports. I mean, Nelson Mandela, and, and, and you'll have to read the book, but um, who, who for you, if you had to select one, who, who's been the most interesting subject? In sports? Well, maybe not. I'll tell you what, I'll give you, you know, I'll give you two, because I know you've talked to a lot of presidents, not just uh, the late Richard Nixon, but um, uh, in sports and, and then beyond sports. Well, I'd say I'd say probably it would be it would be outside of sports, and you know, interviewed the last nine presidents of the United States. So, you know, whenever you have the attention of the of the man who is uh, you know the leader of the free world, and and you know, has all of the issues uh, in front of them that these guys do, you know, that's always has your antenna raised, and you know, there's a certain anxiety and and you know, um, alertness that you have. Uh, being with them, um, I would, you know, I guess, I, I guess probably I would say the most interesting people that I think I've been able to ask questions to, Nelson Mandela was certainly the most remarkable and special man, uh, Mikhail Gorbachev, uh, for my life, for, you know, being a part of ending the Cold War. Um, and I asked him in that interview if he had ever put his hand on the nuclear button. And he had said no, and I asked him why. He said, because morally, morally, if you could practice uh, and do that, then, you know, he didn't even want to contemplate that because uh, if, if he could practice, then he could, you know, in in reality, do it. And so uh, 
that was interesting, uh, asking um, those guys. Uh, Gene Cernan gave me a great interview. He was the last man to walk on the moon. I was lucky enough to uh, be able to question him and the first man on the moon, Neil Armstrong. Uh, but Gene Cernan said something to me I never forgot, which was, and he was a brilliant guy. He was one of the few to go to the moon twice. He walked on it once, but he circled it uh, uh, another time. Uh, he said, every one of us who is awake at the hour of the day that the sun rises, we never forget what the sunrise looks like, and it's a special emotional feeling for all of us. He said, but how many people have been able to see the earth rise? Hmm. And so yeah. I always uh, I thought that he was just a really special and unique guy. Ray Charles was a, a, a wonderful guy to be around and got to do his final uh, interview. Uh, it was after uh, 9/11, and uh, everybody was singing uh, "America the Beautiful," a song which he, you know, gave just a beautiful rendition of, and that kind of became our anthem uh, during that time period. So I went to see him and did an interview with him in his studios for the Today Show. And I asked him uh, a question, you know, was, uh, what, did he feel that maybe this was the one time in his life where it was better off that he wasn't able to see? And uh, he said, that's a great question, and I suppose you're right. I hadn't thought of it that way, but who would want to see all of this destruction and, and all of these people are dying and being so hurt? So perhaps it's just as well that I can't. So I, I would say that those guys probably... Uh, uh, stand out um, and was always great to be around Ali. He always made it so much fun. Um, Charles Barkley uh, was great to cover. Uh, he always made you laugh. Brady's incredible to be involved with every Monday night. So, I mean, there's a lot of people who I found really interesting and learned a lot from. Quick time out from our interview with Jim Gray. We'll continue in a moment, but want to tell you about Ideal Home Loans. If you're in the market for saving money, and who is not, particularly in these times, you got to give Brent Ivinson's team a call. In fact, I just sent him a, a buddy of mine who is going to be purchasing a new home, and he's ecstatic about how they have handled his situation. Brent Ivinson's team at Ideal Home Loans can be reached at 303-867-7000, 303-867-7000. They listen carefully, and then... They lend, and they have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau for good reason. They're terrific. Give them a call, 303-867-7000. Now back to more with Jim Gray. Jim, as, as long as the list is of people that you've interviewed from... Um, what you just said, world leaders to iconic figures uh, that that go beyond sports. Is there someone either out there currently or someone from the past who's no longer with us that you wish in recent times? You know, obviously you can't go back to you know the eighteen hundreds, but in our lifetime, that you wish you had the opportunity to ask, or there was a question that you neglected to ask. Well, I'm sure there's a lot of people I would have liked to have interviewed who are no longer with us. And there's, you know, some people who are alive today, I guess, who I'd like to be able to interview. Uh, uh, you know, if you could, if you could interview the Pope, uh, and, and, and the President of China, you know, wouldn't you like to know what they're doing on a moment to moment basis right now to procure world peace? Mm -hmm. Um, that would be fascinating because they lead so many people. Um, so that that would have a, a, a great interest to me. Um, going back, 
you know, particularly in the times we're living now, wouldn't it be terrific to have Dr. Martin Luther King right now to be able to, you know, talk to him about what his dream was for our country and this planet. Uh, and he was at least in my lifetime, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. I grew up, was born in 1959, so when he was assassinated in 1968, I was eight or nine years old. Um, so he would be obviously fascinating person to uh, be able to uh, speak with with the times we're living in now uh, and from uh, where he was to where we are. You know, Jim, I, again, I've watched, you know, as so many have you on, you know, in many different venues. And one of the things, and, and maybe other people don't think of this, I certainly do being in the same business. I, I've often wondered, and it's not just that you've always asked, you know, the, the hard question, the penetrating question, but for whatever reason, so many of these people are extremely comfortable, and it almost goes beyond that, because many have, you know, taken you in, a, a John Madden, a, a Muhammad Ali uh, originally, an Al Davis, um, why, why do you, you know, again, I'm asking you a, a question, I ask you with, you know, I'm sure you're going to answer with humility, but um, why is that? What What is it, do you feel, about you and how you present yourself that you are able to not only ask the difficult question, but have these many of these people go beyond being forthcoming, but take you in, really like you um, beyond just, hey, he's another guy holding a microphone, if you will? You know, it's almost impossible to answer that question, Drew. Um to have a relationship or a friendship with somebody, true friendship, is reciprocal, right? So it has to be wanted by the other person. I can't just go decide I'm going to be best friends with Kobe Bryant or Jack Nicholson. You know, they have to want that in return. So if somebody is always giving, you know, that doesn't work because that creates resentment by the person who's always giving. And if somebody is always taking, you know, that sets up a dependency. And so those people are no longer independent. They're dependent on whatever it is that they're receiving. So that doesn't work. Um, so it has to, it has to work back and forth. It has to be a two way street, not a one way street. So it's really hard for me to answer, you know, why it is that somebody else feels that way. I only know how I feel, you know, and I can't tell anybody else how to feel. That's the one thing that, you know, I think we all could learn and be better at, you know, walking in other people's shoes, trying to understand their plight in life, trying to listen better. Um, because I can't tell you how you feel. Only you know how you feel, right? So mm-hmm. it's hard for me to answer like that. Of course, you know I'm tremendously likable and lovable, right? <laughs> no, but I mean, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm being facetious here. I have no idea. But for whatever the reason, I'm grateful. And, you know, I've really been humbled and and tremendously thankful that I've been able to have these relationships with these folks because they've taught me a lot. We were chatting before we, we pushed play record, if you will. And going forward, I don't know if, if, if you could have the same career and the same relationships the way we, quote unquote, do business in 2020 moving forward. Is that a fair statement? I think it's very fair. It would be very difficult to break through it all now with, with social media and with the ability of, you know, the landscape is much different. Players now 
uh, organizations, you know, they handle their business much differently. Social media gives them an immediate platform where, you know, guys in the press, you know, they don't have relationships with because there's not proximity. You know, it used to be you could go down to Nuggets shoot around and talk to the players before the game, talk to them, you know, in the morning, have a production meeting, talk to them in the locker room before the game, talk to them on the court, uh, used to interview players at halftime of games, um, and you'd get them after the game. You know, now they're still accessible. It's just a different type of access, okay? So they're accessible through their Facebook. They're accessible through, you know, Instagram or Twitter or however they communicate, and then they will come in and sit on a podium, and they'll answer the questions. And, you know, the NBA guys are great, NFL guys, you know, they're all they're all fine. Uh, but they enter from behind the curtain through a corridor, and they answer the questions, and they take 5, 10, 15, 20, whatever the requisite number is, and then they get up and they walk back behind the curtain. Okay, so if you're you or me or whoever, we're sitting eight rows behind pre-COVID, six rows, whatever the number is. And, well, that doesn't build a rapport. I, you know, I can't get, you know, maybe the beat writer can't get the necessary information to fill the rest of that story. And so now all of the logistics have changed so much, as well as social media, that it would be very difficult to, to have the required you know, I don't want to say FaceTime of the required time in front of another person to establish a report, to have a relationship, to recognize uh, that somebody can be trusted or or that you could have, you know, a conversation beyond, you know, missing that layup or whatever it is that, you know, had to deal with the game. You know, I just think of all those times, you know, I knew Kobe Bryant from the time he was born mm-hmm. when he was an infant in his mother Pam's arms. Okay. So all of that that went on because I had a credential and could be in an area where he was, well, that led to a lifetime relationship. But it's hard to do that now, Drew. You're at all these games. So it doesn't lead to the proximity and the availability occurring. People will call that progress. And in many ways it is. We now have instantaneous information. In a heartbeat, but the push of a button or the, or the, you know, the tap of a screen. And so it's, it's great in some ways, but it's detrimental to being able to do or to replicate or have the type of a, uh, availability and career that I've had. It's why I guess, I guess I'd figure out a way to overcome it. Yeah, you know, you you always have, and and it's one of the reasons you know I started this podcast like a year and a half ago, and, and I know everybody and their brother now have have a podcast. But one of the the things that I've always been enamored with um, in the business is is the the good interview, and and oftentimes the long form interview. And you've made a, a marvelous career out of doing that. And it's not about our relationship with a with a given subject it's about people being everybody wants to go behind the curtain and in that interview you can take people and you've done this you've made a career out of this behind the curtain a little bit and the less we do that it's not that we lose it's it's the public who want to consume and understand and learn more about oftentimes very interesting very fascinating subjects they lose out when you can't 
dig deeper. Right. I agree with that. The problem is that everything now is done under such a microscope. Everything is on camera. Your whole life is on camera. And yeah. somebody's always pointing something at you or there's audio or it's being captured somehow, some way. <clears throat> Whether it's by Alexa in your house or Siri on your phone or, you know, when you're walking down the street leaving, you know, the store. You know, surveillance. So it's so much different in terms of how information is gathered and data being collected that those who have all of this talent, those who have achieved such tremendous success, you know, all of these goats, these, you know, talking to goats, you know, they're talking all the time to somebody that's recording it. So just think of your whole life being on camera. Well, that's what they have now. So why sit down and do something for 45 minutes or an hour or let somebody get to know you when everything you know, if I bought a car yesterday, it's on the Internet. Yeah, it's amazing. Hey, Jim, it, uh, you've been very gracious with your time. The, the book, again, is uh, Talking to Goats, The Moments You Remember and Stories You Never Heard. Um, it, it's a captivating read. Uh, I've gotten through uh, some of it. Um, I, I just got it, so I can't wait to, uh, to really attack all of it. And, and whether you are, again, just a casual sports fan or not, you will absolutely... Uh, Really enjoy the read. I'm glad. I'm glad you put it together with Greg Bishop and, and uh, the compilation. I'm sure you could have a part two at some point in time. Uh, Drew, two things. Thank you for having me on. You've been great for the state of Colorado and the city of Denver. Uh, you've been there an awful long time, and you've brought all the people closer to the sports they enjoy, particularly the Rockies. And you've done it with integrity and dignity. And so I appreciate you having me on your podcast. And second of all. The last chapter of my book is I'm not writing another book. <laughs> <laughs> so please, if you want to pick this one up, I'd love for you to read it, Talking to Goats. But this is it, like Carol Burdett in the last chapter. I'm so glad we've had this time together. Yeah. But I'm not doing this again. One, one and done. I'm a, I'm a Kentucky Wildcat in that respect. There, there you go. Well, it's been, it's been a remarkable career. And, and Jim, thank you very much for those kind words. Um, you know, everything we've done is, is always out of, uh, out of the joy to be involved and the privilege to be involved in, in what we do. And, in, in, as, uh, Doug Moe, a guy you know, Doug Moe used to say, Hey, what are you complaining about? We live in the toy store of life, right? He's exactly right. And, just keep playing in it. It's not a bad place to be. Not a bad place to be. Jim, stay well. And uh, again, thanks for the time and, and best of luck with the book. It's a, it's a marvelous read. And, uh, and, and I hope our paths cross again sometime soon. Stay healthy. Thanks, Drew. Appreciate you. Oh, you got it. Be well, Jim. Well, again, a big thanks to Jim Gray. Really enjoyed our conversation. The book is a, is a marvelous read, Talking to Goats. By Jim Gray. Uh, hopefully, you got it for somebody for the holidays, and it's uh, it's parked. Uh, it was parked under the tree already. Couple other notes. Congratulations to Derek Broussard of the University of Colorado Offensive Player of the Year in the Pac-12, and I'm glad that CU's playing in a bowl game. Uh, they got they got run around a little bit that last week in the craziness of of COVID and. You're on again, you're off again. The equipment truck halfway between uh, Denver and Seattle, or excuse me, Denver and Los Angeles. And also congratulations to Carl Durrell. Well-deserved. First year, I know it's only a, a handful of games, but he was the Pac-12 Coach of the Year, and uh, and that was the right choice. And really look forward to, to next year 
and uh, Carl being able to build on on what the Buffs accomplished this year. And as we check on out on this uh, Christmas edition of the Drew Goodman podcast, did you see Bradley Chubb's reaction, speaking of honors, on being named to the Pro Bowl? You know, coming off the ACL surgery, he got downright emotional. I remember after when I got the news about the ACL, I called my dad uh, crying. Uh, my bad. Uh, yeah, I was, I was a little emotional going through it. And uh, I'm sorry. Uh, he just told me to keep my head on straight, put my head down, keep working. And that's what I did, man. <laughs> Just like the accolade is huge, but uh, I'm sorry for getting emotional. I just went through a lot this year, but this for Joe feels good. And I always think when you see an authentic, non-canned response, non-rehearsed response, not a bunch of cliches strung together, that individual becomes that much more likable and relatable and that's what i saw from bradley chubb so congratulations to bradley chubb of the broncos on making the pro bowl on coming back from the acl injury and also on being real that'll do it again for our christmas edition of the drew goodman podcast tell your friends about it download tell them to subscribe we appreciate you Uh, have a wonderful holiday and we'll talk to you again next week take care everybody you've been listening to the drew goodman podcast subscribe at itunes or wherever you find podcasts and leave a comment that helps other people find the show 